I'd ask you to turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 to 17. We're breaking away this week with our Mission Sunday to the book of Romans to get the biblical basis for why we go out to places like Fiji. Why do we do this? Is it just because that's the vogue? Because churches send out mission teams? Is that why we do it? Well, there's a biblical basis, you see, for why we take the word out. And I want us to look at it this morning. Romans chapter 10 and verses 9 to 17. We're going to be reading from chapter 9 verse 30 just to get the basis of what Paul is saying. Because if you know any of Paul's writing, it's like interrupting a conversation. And it's kind of hard to find a place to break into the conversation. So we're just going to dive in. Chapter 9 verse 30. What shall we say then? That the Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it, that is, a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching the law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith. But but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone, as it is written. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone of stumbling and a rock of offence. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness that comes from God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ in the end of the law Sorry, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news! But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word 
of Christ. Now we're going to be zeroing in on verses 9 to 17 this morning. And what I'm trying to do here in very short time is to come into Paul's conversation, which is kind of hard, because you need sermons and sermons to kind of get the real background. So I'm going to be glossing over and shortly summarising where he's got to in this point in his conversation and then we're going to see what he says about what true faith is. I wonder what it's like to be really deaf and blind at the same time. Completely deaf and blind. You can't see, you can't hear. And you've still got to survive. Well, Paul, in a way, is describing people who are like this. They are deaf and blind. And then he says something worse. They are dead because they do not have the gospel. And he takes as an example of that the nation of Israel and the Gentiles. You see, up to now, Israel was lost, even though they had all the advantages. They were the chosen people of God. God was going to use them as a nation to show the nations around how they can have a God, how they can come to Him in faith. And so He gives them the law. He gives them leaders. He gives them prophets who will speak about not just the law and explain it to them, but also one who is to be greater than the law, one who will perfect the law, one who will come later, the Messiah. But why is Israel lost? Well, God gave them the law and He wanted them by faith to keep the law. But what did they do? They tried to keep the law in such a way that by keeping the law, it was going to save them. And God repeats to them time and time again, yes, you must keep the law and it's good to keep the law, but you can't keep the law perfectly. The law is going to point to imperfection all the time. And every time you try and keep the law, you're going to fall over. But that's the whole point of the law. It is to show that it is impossible to keep it perfect. And that is why you need someone greater. And that is why you need to come and blood has to be spilt for sin. But they tried to keep the law perfectly by themselves. God points out to them time and time again, that is not true faith. And then in God's appointed time in history, and I'm doing a big cut now, alright? In God's appointed time in history, the Gentiles heard the Gospel. And that was Paul's specific ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. And the, the Gentiles were coming to faith. What did they have before them? They had the example of Israel to look at. They could see that time in and time out, Israel had failed and then God had forgiven them and then they'd started again and then they'd failed and God had forgiven them and they'd started again. So they had the benefit of Israel's example. And they were coming to faith in the Lord. And Paul says, why this? Well, there's a reason you see. And the reason was so that Israel would be provoked to jealousy because the example of what God was doing through the Gentiles, and that they too would come to Him in faith. You see, all was not lost for Israel when Paul was writing this book. 
All was not lost. God was keeping a remnant for Himself. He calls them in other places in Scripture an offspring or the seeds who God was preserving for Himself. And one day God will do a great work among that people and many, many more will come to Him in faith. But for now, and as Paul is writing, their eyes are closed. And many Gentiles are coming to the Lord. Gentiles like you and I are coming to the Lord. You see, the good news here in this passage is that salvation is still available for Israel and salvation is still available for everyone who will believe. And that's what Paul's point is in this passage. Salvation is still available for you and I as we sit here in the year 2014. Have you taken up the offer of salvation that is available to you? Or are you like the nation of Israel when Paul was writing here? Are you also trying to law-keeping? Are you trying to get to God by the way you live instead of faith in Jesus Christ? I'm going to get clearer on this point. You see, what Paul does is he points out the difference between righteousness by law and righteousness by faith. What does this word righteousness mean? Well, the, the definition of righteousness is the state of moral perfection required by God to enter heaven. What is the state of moral perfection that God requires of us? Exactly that. Perfection. If you want to go to heaven, you've got to be perfect. That's the, the level God requires of us. And is that possible? Can I gain perfection by living a perfect life? Then about you, I can't do that. You see, there are many, many people today that are trying by good works to please God. When I was in Oz last week in Sydney, I met a Muslim man. He was one of the security guards at this Christian conference. And when I spoke to him, it got to the point where we started speaking about what he believes. And he said, well, I've been hearing all these amazing things about God. I thought, that's quite good, sitting at a Christian conference as a Muslim. And he said, but at least I know we serve the same God. And I said, we do? Have you made sure that what you believe is true? And so we started speaking, you see. And I said to him, how do you know that you're going to go to heaven? And he said, because I've got to live a really good life. And the good things in my life must outweigh the bad things in my life. And then Allah will decide if I've done enough good. I said, are you sure? Because I know that Jesus Christ is something different. And he says, no one can come to the Father except by me. And that means, I said, what? I asked him, what does that mean? If Jesus says no one can come to the Father except by me, is it going to help you to do good works to get to God? He said, I guess not. So I said, what does Jesus say? What must you do? You've got to come through who? Through him. Yes, but he's a great prophet, he said. I said, but God says he's my son. Not just a great prophet. He's my son and you need to come through Jesus Christ to God. And if you try and go through good works, you will never see God. 
The only time you will see God is in judgment. You see, there are many people who think they can reach heaven or whatever state is going to be there after this life if they live a good enough life. But this passage says to us, that is called a righteousness by law. You are trying, trying to do good things to gain eternity. And Paul says, that's not going to get you to heaven. The only thing that will get you right with God is to put your faith in Jesus Christ. To have a righteousness by faith. That's what he's speaking about in this passage. You see, a righteousness by faith says there's nothing that you and I can do to gain righteousness. The only thing we can do is to put our faith in Jesus Christ. That is all. And then we start living works which are righteous before God. You see the difference? Your heart's got to be right before you can live a righteous life. You can't do righteous things to get a good life. There's a difference. And I'm stressing this message today because some of you might have been sitting in this church and you're the oldest member here and you've heard the message of the gospel year in, year out, but you are still trying to live a good life and you have not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so once again, the gospel message is coming out to you this morning. Have you given Jesus Christ your life? Is He Lord of your life? Because there is nothing you can do to gain eternity. That's a simple gospel message that would have gone out in Fiji too. Through the plays, through the interactions with the people. You need to know Jesus Christ to live forever with Him, to get your sins forgiven. You need to know Jesus Christ. You see, in verses 6 and 7 of this passage, He uses the excuses that people say. They'd say, but even if we try to do the impossible things, even if we try to go into the heavens and fetch Jesus Christ to save us, would we then be good? Or even if we did the impossible thing of going down into the abyss, and fetching Jesus Christ there from the death, if we could do that as human beings, would that save us? He says, no. Why not? Because Jesus Christ has already done those things. Hasn't He already come from the heavens to this earth with the good message? Has He not already died for sin? Did He not descend into the abyss? Did He not rise again on the third day from the dead to give us hope for the future? So why would we try and do good things to gain the same thing? Christ has already done those things. And therefore, we put our hope in Jesus Christ. He is the only way to the Father. And then we get to those verses, verses 9 of our text. He says, you can't do these human things to gain eternity. But the word is so close to you, all you need to do is to proclaim the truth. You need to proclaim the truth. Why? Because you've already believed it in your heart and now you express it as a statement of faith. He says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Now you see, people have misused that verse. They've tried to bring easy believerism in. They've said, if you just come up here and say this quick prayer, confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, then you will be, and, you, and you believe that He rose from the dead, you will be saved, just like that. 
We need to explain more than that, you see. There's a reason people need to believe in Jesus Christ as Lord. There's a reason they need to believe that He rose again from the dead. They need to understand that He died because we couldn't pay for our own sin. They need to understand that they need to believe in Jesus Christ. They need to put all their hope on Him because He died for their sin. They need to understand that the great price was paid. A price that they could not pay. That God demanded of them because of sin. And if they don't understand that, then what, what does it matter to put your faith in Jesus Christ? It's just something I can go through and say. It's just on my lips. A few words on the lips and it doesn't mean anything. But you see, we need to believe that in our hearts first. Do you believe that Jesus was raised from the dead for your sake? That He gave you hope because He was raised? Do you believe that? Is He now Lord of your life? What does that mean? It means I put myself willingly under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. He is now the one who is in control of my life. He is the one who commands my destiny. He is the one who uses me as He would. That is confessing Christ as Lord. It's not just the statement on my lips. It starts in the heart. It spills over on the lips. But it's really, really important that it gets said. We need to publicly proclaim our love for Jesus Christ. And so those verses, when you look at them, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, if that is a genuine process in you, then here's the promise from God's Word. You will be saved. You see, that's the message we need to take out. For it's with the heart you believe and you are justified. You are made right with God. Legally. And it's with the mouth you confess and you are saved. That's the message we take out to the world. That's the offer of salvation. And then the good news is there that this offer of salvation, this gospel of grace is available for everyone. This offer is for everyone, verses 11 to 13, both for Jew and for Greek. Jesus is Lord of all. If we would but bow the knee, then He can save. And so the offer of salvation is, is open for the youngest person here. If they can understand about sin, and if they can understand that Jesus is the only way that we will see the Father, then they too can be saved. It's here for the oldest person here. If you haven't yet put your life in the hands of Jesus Christ, you too can be saved even though you might just have a few years left on this earth. For those of you whose lives are all in order and everything is up to date, the gospel is available for you too. Because Jesus said, all your orderliness is not going to save you. You need to put your faith in me. And if your life is all disorganized and everything is falling in on you, the gospel message is for you too. Jesus says, come to me, find hope for salvation. I will take over your life. And I will guide you through everything that is happening. There is hope for you too, you see. But we must accept that offer of salvation. And the question I want to leave with you this morning is, have you personally, as you sit here in front of me, every single individual that is here, have you received your righteousness 
from Jesus Christ? Or are you still trying to get to God on your own? By your good works. By reading the Bible every day. By spending time and quiet time with Him. Good things, but have you given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you have, there's responsibility on you and I as a church sitting here. And together if you look around at you, yes, they're weird and wonderful sitting around you. They're not all as beautiful and good looking as you. But we together make up the church, the body of Christ. And this passage has an implication for you and I. You see, there's a further step here. We've been saved. We understand the message. Now, what's the responsibility? We are to go from here and tell someone else. There are many blind and deaf and dead people out here in Wanganui East. They don't know the gospel message. We do. We've even sent a team to Fiji to take the gospel message out there. How many hours is it on the plane, April? Three hours. We send people three hours on a jet, 900 and something kilometers an hour, to go and take the gospel to another country. But have we actually gone and taken the gospel message to the people in this area of Wanganui East, which takes us two minutes to walk to? Do you see the implication of this passage? Yes, we are to go further afield, but we have to start at home. And as a church here in Wanganui East, God has said to us, we are to take out the message. I love the way he does it here. Paul uses a, a technique that the rabbis often used. He starts up close and then he kind of steps backwards so that you get the bigger picture, right? Those of you who have done high jumping. Anyone done high jumping here? Good old days athletics? I tried. I was a bit short. Um, the way you start up is you stand right up near the poles, right? The cross beam. And it kind of looks impossible. And so you step back from it. And now it kind of doesn't look that high. And if you step back quite a bit, I usually step back right to the other end of the field and then it looked like this. That was good. But if you step back, you get a wider picture. And if you step back a bit further, a wider picture, and then you run towards it and you get over with the right technique. It's called widening. And they often use that in teaching and here we see it. In verse 14. Look at this. He starts up close. How are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? Now he's speaking about Jews here, but also Gentiles. He's speaking in general here about those who do not believe. How are they to, to call on him whom they have not believed? What's the basic statement here? They don't believe, right? How are they to call on Him who they don't believe in? You see, their situation is dire. John chapter 3 verse 18 says this, Whoever believes in Him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe, listen to this, this is where they're at, whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 3 says, They are by nature children of wrath. That's right up close to the bar. They do not believe. And they don't call on Him. There's a reason for that. So we step back. What is that reason? Here's the next reason. And how are they to believe in Him of whom they have never heard? Ah, so they don't believe because they've never heard. Okay. 
how are they to believe in whom they've never heard? You see, what have they never heard of? They've never heard of the problem of sin. What is the problem of sin? Romans 5.12 says this, Just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spreads through all men because all sins. Have we told them that? Do they know their problem? There are many today who have never heard that message. They don't even know they are going to an eternity in hell because no one's told them. And there'll be some of our neighbours around here in Wanganui East who have never heard that message. And they are dying and they are dead. And then he steps back one step further. He says, and how are they to hear without someone preaching? Does that mean we've got to bring everyone into the church so they can come here and listen to preaching? Well, yes and no. Because the gospel message should always be going out from this church here. Otherwise, God will take our candlestick away. But it is more than that. You see, we are the church. And we are to step outside there. And when we step outside there, we are still the church. We are not just the church because we're in this building. We are the church because of what Jesus Christ has done in us. And so the church goes out of these doors and the church goes into Wanganui East and the church goes knocking on the door and the church says to someone, I would like to tell you about Jesus Christ. And the church gets the door slammed in their face and the church goes to the next door and they knock on the door and they say, I would like to tell you about Jesus Christ because you need to hear this message. And the church gets the door open to them and the church gets to explain to explain the gospel message to someone who is lost. Do you see how the church works? And when we go to these people, we need to be preaching the gospel. And that word is to proclaim with authority. And the old English word was to herald. What was a herald? It was someone who got a, who got a trumpet blown and then they would say, Hear ye, hear ye, listen to what the emperor or the king has to say and it came with authority. Whose authority? The authority of the one behind it, the king. We are to proclaim the message. We have a very specific message to take out there but we are to take it out with authority as the church. Tell me, once in your life have you told someone the gospel message? Once. Good. Praise the Lord. Make it twice now. Make it twice. Make it three times. Make it 75 times. Let us tell our community about Jesus Christ. With authority. They can hear because someone has come to preach. But it doesn't end there. He's taking one more step. And he says, how are they to preach unless they are sent? Who's he talking about? Who's the they? Us, we have to send ourselves, yes, with the authority of Jesus Christ. And so, this responsibility doesn't just rest on Marty, doesn't just rest on April, doesn't just rest on the Fijian team, it rests on every single one of us. God gives us the authority to go into all the world and to proclaim the gospel message, to make disciples for Him. Every single one. So we can't point the finger and say, we don't have an evangelism team. You're right, we don't. You are the team. 
Look at an, what amazing evangelism team. Look at all of us. But are we all playing our part? Because maybe there's just three of us active in this team. We are all to go out with authority and to proclaim the gospel message. You see, God is sending us into our community. That is why this church is called Wanganui East Baptist Church. And not just the lodge or the building. It's called Wanganui East Baptist Church. We are the church of the Lord Jesus Christ in Wanganui East. But are we doing what He sent us here to? For a hundred years, God has been faithful to us. Have we been faithful to Him for those hundred years too? Ah, you say, I know what's going to happen if I go. I'm going to go and knock on a door and the big dog's going to get me. And once the big dog's got me with only one leg, I'm going to have the door slammed in my face anyway. Or a big guy's going to bit me, right? Well, okay, they might. But God says we are to go. And He will go with us into the world. The all-powerful God will go with us into the world. And yes, you might get a few scars. And yes, you might lose your life. But so have many others before you. Just look at what's happening in some of the countries around the world now where Christians are dying for their faith. And we are too scared to go to a home and to get past the big dog and knock on a door. And yes, not all will obey. And you're going to get the door slammed in your face. And you're going to proclaim the message. And there's some of the people said, I think it was Ben, that said some people looked a bit glassy-eyed. Some will look very glassy-eyed. But you've gone and taken the message. You see, the response is not your responsibility. The response is their responsibility before the Lord. You have done your responsibility if you take out the gospel message. That's where it ends. And when some of those people come to the Lord in faith, then we as the church get round them because they are now the church and that, that is where our responsibility takes up again and we disciple them in the ways of the Lord. We nurture them, we grow them in the faith. But we are not responsible for their response. They are before the Lord. You see, it takes all the weight of us. It takes all that pressure off us. Oh, I'd better take the gospel out to three more people this day otherwise I'm not going to get into heaven takes that away from us. Yes, we are to go. Yes, we are to proclaim. But the responsibility to respond rests with them. You see, the Bible speaks about two kinds of hearing. Verses 16 and 17. Look at this. They have not all obeyed the gospel. Well, that's one response. They've heard the gospel, but they haven't obeyed. You're going to read many people out there. They will hear. They will not respond. What does hearing mean here, by the way? It means to actively respond to the gospel message. It means to obey, to put your faith in Jesus Christ. And so as the church going out into community, we are to take a specific message. We are to take the word of God to them. Because it is the word that saves. When we go and have these conversations with people, when we knock on the doors, we don't go and speak about moralisms. And you must do this and do that and do this and not do this and then you'll live a good life. That's not our task. But the sad thing is many people are doing that in the name of Christianity. No, we've got to take 
the Word of God. We're not to go and speak to them about life's hard questions. They might try and distract us with those things. We are to give them the Gospel message. It's a very specific message. It's the good news. It's the good news which brings in the Kingdom. Verse 15 speaks about it's the the good news that these messengers take. In other places in Scripture it's called the glad tidings. You see, when we take the message to people and they do not receive it as glad tidings, there's two reasons for that. The first is they haven't understood it and rejected it or we haven't explained it properly. Because the good news about Jesus Christ dying for us should be glad tidings to anyone who hears it, who understands their lost condition. But if we haven't explained the gospel message properly, then they might not perceive it as glad tidings. So you see, there's a responsibility on you and I too. We need to equip ourselves to take out the gospel message. Do you know what the gospel message is? Can you shortly tell someone else what it is? I put this challenge to the men months ago. I said, do you know the gospel message? They all said, yep. So I said, alright, write it down. That was one of the hardest exercises they'd done for a long time. But it showed them that maybe they didn't know what it was shortly. Yes, we understand the concepts, but can you shortly tell someone the reason why they need Jesus Christ? It's important. We are Christians. We are supposed to be light out there in this dark, twisted generation we live amongst, says Philippians. Do you have the gospel message contained in such a way that you can live it out and speak it out to someone? That's why you're here. It's not to come to church services. It's not to get all the Christian literature. It's not to build up a big library. You are here and I am here to take out the light into the world. That's why God has left us here on earth. I've often said that. When God is finished with us, He'll take us to be with Him. But until then, we've got a job to do. Can you fulfill your base function in life for the Lord Jesus Christ? Do you know the Gospel message? How does this all apply to us? And this is where I close this morning. First question, and I'm going to repeat it once again. Don't you ever stand before the Lord and say, I didn't hear the gospel message. I'm asking you this morning, personally, is your righteousness by faith in Jesus Christ or does it still rest on your works? The second question is, we have a message that saves. Around us in Wanganui East, there are many who are deaf and blind. And our job as believers here in this church is we are to proclaim the gospel message authoritatively. That is, with the authority God has given us. We are His messengers into our community. We take the message. They are to respond. That is their responsibility. But the question is, are we going as a church? You've heard the message again today. And I've asked the Lord that He will be your conscience as you go out of this place, wherever you might go, into the week. Take the Gospel message with you. You cannot be a dim light for Jesus Christ. He wants you to shine brightly 
in this community? Are you taking it out to your family members? Have you told the gospel message to your children? To your neighbour? That's how it starts, you see. God puts us in different communities so that we can reach our neighbours in that community. But are we going? You see, this passion to reach the lost with the light must be what is central to you and I. It, it must be what our lives revolve around. Not around our jobs, not around our families, but around taking the gospel message out to those who have not yet heard. That's why we're here. But the question is, is it central to our lives? Is it central to us as a church? If God was to take a snapshot of this church, Wanganui East Baptist Church, would He be able to summarise this church loves to take the gospel message to those who have not heard. Is that what the photo will show? How are we going to do that? Marty's already invited you this morning. If you want to know more about taking the gospel message out, to come and speak to the team. And I'd encourage you to do that. We are not going to start a formal evangelism team because it just turns into another program. I want to see individuals saying, yes Lord, I want to obey. Marty, what are we going to do about it? And so you go off and you make a plan. That's what I want to see as a pastor. As a pastor, I said to you the first day I came here, I cannot do all the work on my own. My job is to equip the saints to do the work. Are you doing the work? And the question the Lord asks of me is, are you equipping the saints? And must I go with you? Yes, I must. I must also go. But my first priority is to equip the saints. You and I are to go. Are we going to go as a result of this message? There's various ways you can do that. You might feel a bit intimidated. I don't quite know what to say. Well, get equipped. Come and ask me. I'll give you a little booklet. You can study it for yourself. And then take it with you. And if you get lost, just refer to it. No, you need to know it. And then speak to them about what God has done in your life. Give them the good news of the gospel. And the reality is, look what Jesus has done in my life. Those of you who are a bit more technologically minded, there's even an app. Lest you thought there wasn't. Francis Chan, um, who we met last week, and I'm not name dropping, we did meet him. Great occasion. They've put out this app about making disciples. And it's not the about how to do it, it's actually an app that you can open up and work through with someone and it takes you through step by step. If you do the readings, everything is already set up for you. It's just add water, stir, right? If you go and open your app with someone and they'll have their smartphone, together you can work through the scriptures and you, you can just work a bit ahead before you go and meet this person and work through it with them step by step. It works through what is the gospel? Why do you need to be saved? What did Jesus come and do? It works about how are you saved? It works about what is the church? What are all these strange things that happen inside a church? It works through all those steps. And what it's doing is it is equipping someone else who then, who's come to the Lord to stand strong in their faith. You can either use this app with someone who doesn't know the Lord or with someone who has wandered away and they're weak. You can put your arm around them and say, let's work through this together. That is discipleship. And we need to be doing it. The excuses before the Lord can't be one day, Lord, I didn't know. And Lord, there was nothing to help me to do the task. 
the Lord is going to put his arm around you and have a stern talk. Let's pray. Lord, our Heavenly Father, thank you for what you did in 3G. Thank you for that one life that we know of that has come to you in faith. And Lord, we pray for the many seeds that were planted there, that you would make them grow, that you would make life start in darkness, that light would come about because of the mission that went there. Lord, we pray specifically for Vijay and Nasama. We pray for the work that they are doing there, that you would strengthen that church up too and that they would continue to reach out into that community of, of Hindus around them and that many would come to faith in Jesus Christ. And Lord, as a result of your word too, I pray that as a church, we would be obedient. We would have the kind of hearing that is a verb, that is action, that says, I have put my faith in Jesus Christ. My righteousness is in Christ alone and now I step out in obedience and I continue with works of righteousness. Lord, help us to be an obedient church. Help us to reach this community of Wanganui East with the gospel of Jesus Christ, the gospel that saves those who are dead and brings them to life. Lord, help us because we are weak and we are forgetful. Help us to be obedient. Amen.